The reading for today is Exodus 20, 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Amen. Thank you for bringing that word. Well, good morning. Great. I'm glad you're there. That's good. Well, it's really encouraging to be back with you this morning. I actually can't remember the last time I brought a message to the morning service. I've certainly brought a number in the evening service, but it's always good to come back and uh, speak to other congregations as well, so I'm looking forward to this. Today I've been given chapters 19 and 20 to speak on, and as you could possibly understand by what has just been read, there's possibly six months of teaching that could come from chapter 20. I'm not actually going to touch chapter 20 this morning because in the coming weeks chapters 20 to 23 are the giving of the law and then the outworking of that how it is to actually be put into place so I believe you're going to hear quite a bit about the law we've previously heard about the law and all that that means but we skip over 19 often when we read Exodus we don't actually look well into 19 so this morning I'm going to deal primarily with what is contained in chapter 19 so if you'd like to open your scriptures hold chapter 19 open there we will be actually working through that I'm not going to read the chapter out but we will work through it pretty much systematically as we go before we do that I want to pray let's just pause father God thank you for who you are 
as we're going to learn this morning, it's because of you that we're in this place this morning. It's because of you that the people of Israel are standing at the base of Mount Sinai. It is you who rescued them and it is you who rescued us. Lord, we want to learn from you. We want to hear your voice. And Lord, I pray by Holy Spirit, by his power, that you'll fall in this place this morning. The people's hearts will be challenged. Their eyes will be opened. Their ears will be opened to hear your word. They'll put aside their own agendas. They'll focus on you. And they'll change their hearts to respond to what you're calling them to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we get underway, I want you to think about the scene that we have before us in, in chapter 19. We have Mount Sinai and Israel has arrived at the base of Mount Sinai. There were 70 of them that left um, when they went to Egypt. There's now over 600,000 standing before Mount Sinai. And Moses is there. Moses pretty much goes straight up the mountain straight away. And I want you to think about what happened. Houston, we have a problem. Are these my slides? Yeah? There we go. Wait, I'll, I'll try going back, eh? No, we're not going to get anything. Wait on. Now we'll try. Yes, sorry, mate. <laughs> There's a little clip here that no one's supposed to touch. It changes it between one of these clickers and a mouse. It was on mouse. My mistake, guys. Thank you. Congratulations to the guys up the back. New desk this week. New desk, so all the sound you're hearing is as a result of that new desk. They've done a phenomenal job. David Trupp and his team getting everything in, done a great job. Okay, now we've done that little ad. Yeah. <clears throat> Back to Exodus 3.12. Remember what happened here back in Exodus 3. Now Moses was given the commission by God to go to Egypt, and he just jumped up and said, Lord, yes, send me, I'm the man. No, that's not how it went, was it? And Moses said, Lord, don't, don't send me. I can't speak, which actually wasn't the truth. I can't do this, I can't do that. I am not the right person for this job. And God said, God said, this will be a sign for you I, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll serve God on this mountain. Where's Moses right now? He's standing at the foot of that mountain in Exodus 19. He has done the full circle. He has returned to the place where God first gave him the commission. And what has happened? God was with him. And God, had, God didn't allow Moses to have any excuse for not doing what God had called him to do. It is God who provided for him. It was God who equipped. It was God who empowered him. And we know that God's word can be trusted. If God says it, guess what? He will do it. And Moses is standing at the foot of the mountain. And back in Exodus 3, when he thought this was impossible, when he thought it couldn't possibly happen, God said, go anyway. And God did everything that was required in order for the people of Israel to be led out of Egypt. And here's Moses standing at the base of the mountain. A transformed man. Because he trusted God. And he said, I don't want to go. But because you said it, I will. And we're at the base of this mountain. The people of Israel won't move for close on a year. They'll be standing here on this mountain. And to give you an idea of all that happens in that 12 months, the next 59 chapters of Scripture 
deal with that 12 months at the base of the mountain. That's how significant this is. And God says to Moses, you're going to go. You're going to do all that I tell you to do. You will be successful because I will go with you. And God said that the sign will be you will return to this mountain and here you will serve me and here you will worship me. This is God bringing his word to fruition, allowing it all to happen, fulfilling what he has said. And as Moses heads up that mountain, I'm sure he's reflecting on all that God said. And in fact, that's the first thing God tells the Israelites to do. He says, remember. It's a very simple thing, isn't it? A very simple message. But it can strengthen the faith of even the weakest person. A habit that will cause Israel and anyone who knows God to see his hand in all that has happened in their life. Exodus 19.4 says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And when we read about eagles, you know, it doesn't have a huge impact upon us. It doesn't have a great significance for us. But the Israelites, they would have been moved by that. They understood that eagles were a symbol of strength and protection. And in fact, later on in Deuteronomy, this is how God describes what happened as far as him coming in as an eagle. It describes how God dealt with Israel as an, as an eagle deals with its young. This passage says that the eagle swoops in not only to protect, which is indicated by the spreading of wings over the young, but also to take them out of that situation, bearing them on his pinions, carrying them, protecting them. And to get to the eagle's young, you have to go through the eagle. And so the Israelites understood the protection, the comfort, the security and the leading that God provided for them, taking them out of captivity and releasing them. And God calls them to remember where they have come from. Remember what was happening in Egypt. Remember how you were being persecuted wrongly. Remember how you were being oppressed and suppressed. Remember that I came in. Remember I led you out of that place. I led you through the Red Sea. I allowed you to see the defeat of your foes. I fed you miraculously in the desert with quail, with water, with manna. All these things I did for you. Please remember them. But it's not only so they reflect on what God has done. It's to change their heart about where they are. We are here not because of anything we have done. We are here not because of our strength and our purposes. We are here solely because of what God has done. And because of that, there's this call to be motivated. And the call to motivation is to obey. And this is a call all throughout Scripture, isn't it? This is what we are called to do. And it's a call to obey all that God says, not just the bits that suit them, not just the bits that suit us. It's a call to obey everything God says. 
Exodus 19.5 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all of the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And God has saved his chosen people, Israel. But there's an expectation put upon them. It's not just saved for saving's sake. There's an expectation upon them. The people of Israel are where they are because of what he said back in verse 4. It is God who dealt with Egypt. It is God who brought them to this point. It is God who saved them. Nothing that they did. And it was God who took all those steps, the required steps to save his people. His actions, God's actions, establish the relationship that they're now enjoying with God. Israel has done nothing to earn the right to be saved. It was God's grace. And yet now they have been saved. They're called to live a life that reflects the high calling that they're now being called to. Israel will be God's treasured possession if they obey his voice and keep his covenant. What's this covenant that's been spoken about? There's many people who think the covenant is about what is about to happen. You know, the Ten Commandments that were just read out, all the laws and regulations that are actually about to be put into place over the next four chapters of Scripture. I actually don't believe that's the case. I don't believe that is what this is talking about. I believe the covenant that God is speaking about is about what has happened before. I believe it's talking about the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Think about Exodus 2. I've got 22 up there. Sorry, it's Exodus 2. Um, I'll wait a tick. That's jumped forward again. I missed one. Sorry. There we go. Exodus 2, 24 to 25. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. And this is vital to understanding the whole book of Exodus. God is keeping the covenant that he made with the patriarchs. The Exodus is God keeping his promise. It's about his word being fulfilled. What is about to happen with the law is not a new covenant, is being built upon what is already there. It's a strengthening and deepening of what already existed. And the law that is about to be given is not the beginning of the relationship between God and Israel. It's a heightening of that relationship. God promised Abraham land. In fact, the land of Canaan. We're going to hear more about that a little bit later on. He promised him descendants who could not be numbered. How many went down to Egypt? How many have come back? And we're also a result of that promise. He promised blessings to all nations because of Abraham's descendants. And in Genesis 22, we have an account of Abraham offering his son of Isaac because God called him to. Abraham shows his willingness to obey God by almost completing the deed before being stopped by an angel. In the same chapter, God reaffirms his covenant with Abraham. Man, I'm having fun with this today. All right. All right. Genesis 22, 17, 18. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand in the seashore. And your offspring shall be shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice because abraham obeyed god's voice the fulfillment of the covenant is subject to the obedience of the people that's what it's all about 
said way back in Genesis to Abraham and reiterated here with the people of Israel. And if they do obey, that will be a treasured possession. Just think about that. If Israel obeys God's voice, they will be God's treasured possession. They will be God's choice. They will have his protection. They'll have his guidance. They'll have his ear, his special attention, which no other nation or people will have. It is theirs exclusively. They'll also be a kingdom of priests. You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, Exodus 19.6. This is the only place in the Old Testament where this is mentioned, where this word is used for Israel, a kingdom of priests. And to this point, the priesthood of Israel has not been established. But this wouldn't have been an alien term to the Israelites. They would have seen amongst other nations the priestly duties that they did for their gods and things like that. But even amongst themselves, the patriarchs carried out priestly duties in the sacrifices and things that they performed before God and how they honoured God. So this isn't an alien thing to them when it comes to priestly duties. And they were aware of those roles of priests, but in this case, they would not have been thinking about the role like that or as the Levites actually live out a little bit later on. But as again... God reinforcing what is already in place. Israel is to be a blessing to all all other nations. This is part of the original covenant that was read out just before. And they are to do this in their role as priests. The call for them is to be an example to others of all that God has done for them. To proclaim what God has done. And this goes hand in hand with the next point where they will be a holy nation. The kingdom of priests and the holy nation have to be taken together. You can't have one without the other. And so you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are terms that support each other. They're inseparable. And as a kingdom of priests, Israel is set apart. That's what holy means. Okay, to be set apart for God's use and purposes. They're separate to other nations. Israel is a chosen people unto God. They need to be separate from all other nations. And as such... They are to be holy and priestly, a people who God will use as his plan unfolds to bring all other nations to have a knowledge of him. That was the design of what Israel was for. We have a number of time constraints which prevent us from going any deeper, unfortunately. So we'll skip over a few verses and um, pick up this point. The Israelites are to be consecrated. And this is a very interesting section of Scripture. To be consecrated is to be made or declared to be sacred. And we're not told how this happens on this occasion. We're not told what is required. But it's covered in Exodus 19, 10 to 13. The people need to be consecrated in order to approach the mountain which God is going to descend upon. And whatever this is, whatever they have to undertake, it takes a couple of days. So obviously it's quite extensive. But the idea of the people being consecrated fits with the previous stated notions that Israel is going to be set apart as a holy nation and kingdom of priests. They need to be set apart or made holy for God's service, for his purposes. And most commentators agree that this consecration is symbolically represented by the washing of their clothes. In fact, some people say, why was that even mentioned that they washed their clothes? But it's an outward sign of the inward cleanliness that they have. 
but it's also an indication that in this work of purification, you can't come as you are. There is preparation to approach the holy mountain of the Lord. This is the holy, righteous, pure, good God. And you can't just approach him without considering that. Even in this consecrated state, they can't walk up to the top of the mountain. Moses alone ascended to the very top. You consider that the most holy place. Aaron, Nadab, Abihu and 70 elders of Israel, they have access to a higher point on the mountain than the average Joe. And then all the other people, you can consider where they were as the holy place. All the other people, even though they've been consecrated, they're to remain at the foot of the mountain. And in fact, they're not even to approach that section until God sounds a trumpet. And then they have permission to approach there. That's like the outer courts of the temple. And it seems that God's purposes and plans are already being put in place for what is to come. When the tabernacle is formed and when ultimately the temple is built, the same format is followed. Only the high priest can enter the Holy of Holies. Only the priest can enter the holy place. And the rest of the people are permitted to enter the outer courts of the temple. And just like on the mountain that we see in this chapter, if anyone is to encroach or approach an area that they're not permitted to go into, they are to be killed. That's how seriously this is taken. Those who approach the mountain without permission are to be stoned to death. They're to be stoned to death so that those doing the killing don't actually touch them and become unclean. They have been purified. That's how seriously this is taken. What does this mean for us? I haven't seen before the links. We'll get there. I haven't seen before the links between what God did with the Israelites and what he has done for us so clearly or so specifically as when I went through this chapter of Scripture. The Israelites were called a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And those of us who've been called by God, who've given our lives to him, this is what's said about us in 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. It's the same call. We're part of God honouring and fulfilling the covenant with Abraham. We, like the Israelites, are called out of the world to be those people who are set apart by God to be holy, to be consecrated or sanctified, if you like. That's a word we use for his use and his purposes. It's, those, it's that daily giving ourselves afresh to God, asking him to purify us and use us for his glory, for his benefit. And he calls us to be those who will influence others who are not called, those who do not know God and the saving grace of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called out of the world to be that nation, to be those people. And we're called to put to death that which we once were in order that we can be his ambassadors 
on this earth. His representatives reflecting who he is to anyone and everyone. And just like the Israelites were called to remember God, he cries out for us to remember too. Remember who you were. You were dead. Think about that. I am yet to see a person who is dead on their own, under their own power, get up and walk away. It doesn't happen. That was our state. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were without hope. We were in a position where we could do nothing for ourselves. And God, in his great love for us, acted. He moved. He took the necessary steps. He came into our world. He did what needed to be done so we could have life and life eternal with him. He made a way where there was no way. He created this incredible thing where we now have relationship with him. And it's not a relationship that is going to end. It is something that is going to go on and on forever. And God says, remember. Remember how he swooped in. Remember how he, like an eagle, saved the Israelites and drew them out of that terrible place. He did the same for us. He came in, he took us from darkness, and he placed us in light. It was nothing we did for ourselves. You cried out to him, and he was there. He wanted to do it. He wants you for his own. Think about it. When I first gave my life to God, I remember it was raining. And I made this commitment. It was one of those life insurance type commitments where I was petrified of dying. And, and I just said, Lord, I, I, I just need you. I went back to my um, old youth group leader out at Woody Point, it was, in Presbyterian Church out there. And uh, we prayed together. And there was just this incredible sense of God's presence there with us. He just poured his love out upon me. And I knew I knew something had happened. I knew that there was this transformation. But I don't know about you, that over the years after that, that died and faded and I didn't feel God anymore. And I didn't have the foundations of Scripture that I needed in order to be able to stand at those times when I didn't sense and feel God. And I think that's what happened so much. You think of the church of Laodicea, where these people, they were once hot. They were once just so excited about God. And that's what I was like when I first gave my life to Christ. Was that your story too? Where, you know, you, you just had this time with God, which was so incredible. And you were so spurred on and everything was just rosé. I mean, it was pouring rain the day I gave my life to Christ. It did not matter. I still loved the rain. But then things fade. Things weigh in upon us. Relationships change. And my love for God faded. And just like the church in Laodicea, God said, you are neither hot nor cold. I will spew you out of my mouth. Is that you? Are you lukewarm? Because if you are, God's calling you to remember. If you're one of those people who journals, flick black, back through your journals, see what God has done for you. If you're in a down period at the moment, remember what God has done previously. When God calls us to remember, it's not just so that we can just have this nice warm fuzzy. It's so that we can realize God has been moving in our life. The God that we worship is a true God. And he wants you like that again. He wants you to be passionate about him. He wants you to be telling the nations that he has done a great work for you. So please remember, that's God's call for us today. Remember your first love. 
He wants to fan those embers back into life. He wants you to be burning hot for him again. He doesn't do lukewarm. I don't want to be spewed from his mouth. Do you remember the prayers he answered? Uh, I'm very privileged to work with young adults. They get so excited. And we talk about the prayers that God answers. And when you look for them, he answers all of them. Not just a few. He answers all of them. And the beauty of remembering when we look back on the prayers that we've prayed, keep a book. It's worth it. Sometimes you pray and you want this answer. But God answers with this. And at the time, you don't like that. But as you remember, you can see that there was a purpose even in that. When you didn't get what you wanted, God knew better. And he gave what was needed. Remember his prayers, how he answered them. Remember how you felt his presence. Don't hear me wrong. Don't rely on your feelings. It's a terrible thing to do. Feelings are given for us to enhance what our life's experiences are. They're fantastic. But if you rely solely on your feelings, your faith is going to be all over the shop. Stick to what God says in his word. Trust what he says. Believe it. And then even in the valley, in the deepest, darkest times, you'll be able to rely on him because of what he says in his words, not what you're feeling. Remember the feeling of his presence, though, because you will get those moments. Remember his love. Remember his forgiveness. Remember his sacrifice. He wants you. He loves you. And he has a purpose for you. He has a task. And perhaps when you think about it, just like Moses back in Exodus 3, for some of us, the task God is calling to us is too great. When he called me to the ministry, I'm so glad that he only gave Elena and I the next step. If we had a scene where God was going to take us, what he was going to do, we would have run. There's no way we would be doing what I'm doing now. But God has a purpose for each and every one of us. And trust me, you're as important as any gifted speaker. You're as important as any gifted musician. You're as important as any prayer warrior. Because God has given the purpose that you have because you are uniquely shaped and designed to fulfill that purpose. And that is why we are a body who likes looking upon kidneys. Nah, but they're pretty vital for the body to survive, aren't they? And we protect them and we nurture them more than perhaps other parts of our bodies that are more nice. We need each and every one of you. Each of us has a purpose in God's kingdom. Trust God. The road ahead is not necessarily attractive. Think of what it was like for Moses. But Moses was brought full circle. I pray that we get to see some of that. I pray that we get to see some of what God has done as we come full circle. But sometimes full circle, we don't see it until we stand in eternity. So trust God that he's going to do it. The truth that we've seen in Scripture is that God will be with you. If he has called you, he will equip you, he'll guide you, and he'll fulfill that word that he has spoken. Trust him, but more than that, obey him. If God has said it, he'll do it. He'll bring it to completion, just as he did with Moses. And if that is you, will you commit to being that man or woman who'll submit yourself to God, just like Moses did, 
and you'll come back a transformed person. You'll be just like Moses was. And you come to appreciate the joy, the peace, the comfort of knowing regardless of what comes at you, you're right in the middle of God's will. You're where he would have you to be. For every one of us, God calls us to be obedient. It's not negotiable. If we say we love Jesus, we'll be a people of prayer. If you're not praying, you don't love Jesus. It's that simple. Could you imagine? I'll pick on Brendan. He's one of the most recently married in the churches. And I don't want to pick on myself this morning. But could you imagine Brendan and Shelley? Brendan stood before us and said, I do. Made those wonderful vows and things like that. Imagine if Shelley came in and said, that's the last time Brendan spoke to me. Could you imagine their relationship lasting very long? And yet we say we love God. And we don't speak to him. We don't spend time to him. It's hard to hear, but I want to tell you, you're believing a lie. You don't love God if you don't pray to him. You don't love God if you don't read his word. And if you have trouble with either of those things, I want to speak to you. Not because I want to judge you, not because I want to give you a hard time, but I want to teach you to pray. I want to help you. I want to help you read God's word. Because that's the only way we can engage with him. I believe God's got an incredible plan for us here at Sunnybank District Baptist Church. But we've got to be willing to get back to basics. We have to be willing to take a risk. We stand before you as your leaders. And we know God speaks to you. And so many don't respond. It's not to give us brownie points. It's not to make us feel better. We want to see you go on for God. If God's speaking to you, please come forward. Let us encourage you. Let us pray for you. Let us help equip you. That's our heart's desire. That's my desire. I so want to get down to the business of growing people in Christ. But we as a people also need to repent. It's not a word we like using. But we have to say sorry to God for allowing our hearts to grow cold, for that flame to be snuffed down. for forgetting all he has done and how he's brought us to this place. And you know what? There's some people here who most of what I said doesn't apply to. These are people who are in a great place with God. I've shared with you, I've spoken with you and praise God you're here. Praise God you're here. I want you to come forward too. I want, I want to be able to praise God with you. I want to celebrate where you are right now with Christ. I want to celebrate the fact that you're powering on with him and he's revealing things from his word. That's what we're about as a people of God. We're about spurring each other on and encouraging each other. And there might be someone sitting beside you this morning who needs that encouragement.
who needs to be spurred on. Take the time to be willing to do that. I'm going to close in prayer and the worship team's going to come up. But please, don't miss this opportunity. If God has been speaking to you, let's come forward and pray together. Or come forward and let's praise God together. I'm happy to do both. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I want to pray and ask for your forgiveness for myself as well as any others who are joining me here, Lord, for not remembering what you've done, for allowing myself and ourselves to become lukewarm in our faith. And Lord, we so want to be closer to you. We want to know your will and purposes for us as individuals, for us as a people of God here at Sunnybank District Baptist Church. Will you move by Holy Spirit this morning, Lord? Will you touch the lives that need to be touched? Will you allow the people who have to do work to know without doubt that you're talking to them? And will you allow them to take action with that too? Father, we want your name on it. We want you glorified, no one else, just you, Lord. So do your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.